0: Logical progression, year one lesson twenty eight. a Sahla <laughs> Sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa Kareem. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's good to see you again after a, a very busy weekend, of course, for many of us, Uh especially here in Manchester. It was a stunningly successful uh, Ilm Fest, alhamdulillah. We're coming off the back of, of Ilm Fest, of Ilm Tour, which of course was here last week on the... uh uh, for the last uh, week's lesson Which I'm sure was a nice change um, And I had a great time Mashallah as well in Scotland I want to give a shout out to all of the brothers and sisters Who put on their own fest in Scotland And I was able to uh, uh, To meet a, a load of the LP students Mashallah Amazing numbers in the uh, In the in the lobby as we were walking around So that's very nice to see as well It's Very nice to see mashallah Um and also, we've got some good news. One of our main uh, students, uh, Sister Asia, um Ya'qub, she had a, a baby last week. Uh, mashallah, and MashaAllah, um, that's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless her. And she's attending this week's lesson with her baby, she said. So that's very nice. That's very good. LP baby. Or is that taking a bit too far? Yeah. Again, a bit carried away here, boys. You know what I'm saying? Once we get into the whole realm of LP babies, yeah, it's all messed up there. So uh, so that's good news Alhamdulillah Um, What else? I also have some very very good news And then some okay news So the very very good news is that we've confirmed that We're going to be having our exam Which is the amazing news Our exam inshallah will be based upon the first 18 lessons The student notes have been um, prepared They're a bit raw They're very raw in fact um, but it's good enough for you to revise from. Um, they'll probably be released over the next maybe four or five days, something like that. Okay, I might delay it a little bit more to get them a bit more cleaned up. Um, but just so that you're aware of what my plan is, uh, we have three more sessions left: this session, next week, and then the week after. Okay, that will be the 3rd of July. The Wednesday, which is the 10th, we're expecting, of course, to be the start of Ramadan. Allah knows best. So, we're not going to have a lesson on that day regardless. Whether it's Ramadan or not. There will be no lesson on the 10th of July. Um, So, again, after this, there's only two more lessons left. Next week, I want to dedicate that lesson to doing a review of the notes and the things that we would be looking at to to be questioned over. So, just revising together as a class. So, it will be just on the content of next week's lesson that we'll have that test. Again, for the 36,000... 302nd time the exam mark is not a indicator of whether you remain in the class or not the class continues for you regardless of what your mark is but to continue in the program you must take the test it's a very easy test maybe 45 minutes it's a multiple choice question Uh, automated test that will be done over a day the system is all automated it will be open for one day you will enter the system via your Maghrib username and password. An email will be sent to you that will explain to you the process. You will A number of you already have accounts. You will then enter your Maghrib account and then you will take, you will select the option Logical Progression, the class Logical Progression. And then uh, you will have, uh, on that day, 24-hour period to sit down and take the test yourself in your own homes. It's so very, very easy, very, very simple. We trust you to just do it. You'll get your mark immediately. As I said... It's not an indicator of whether you continue or not. You will continue regardless of your mark. But you must take it because that, that is what will show us your commitment. The day to choose is something which I am still thinking about. Maybe we can uh, discuss that and confirm that next week. That's the easy part. I was thinking of making it the uh, Sunday the 7th. Okay? Sunday the 7th. Um, because it's only open for 24 hours. But we can make it Monday as well, or whatever. But um, we can discuss that next week. Have a week to think about it, uh, to choose that day. So that's the really exciting news. The okay news How about after, Ramadan? after Ramadan revision time.
1: Revision
0: time. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be forgetting everything. Otherwise, you'll be forgetting everything. Yeah, uh, nice one, Shaib. Try. Try again. <laughs> so, um, so that's the excellent, amazing, mind-blowing news. The okay news. Is that we have a surprise guest, masha'Allah ta'ala. And uh, as you have come to expect, it's of course Sheikh Kihlan, hafidahullah ta'ala. It's more than okay, it's amazing and mind blowing. (laughs) So we'll hand over to Sheikh Kihlan. (laughs) Jazakum (laughs) Allah. (laughs) Khairan. (laughs) Bismillah. (laughs)
2: Assalamu
1: (laughs) alaikum (laughs) wa rahmatullah JazakAllah khair for inviting me over and sorry to disturb your lesson. I know that you're expecting Abu Isa to give you this lesson, but he asked me to uh, share with you some of my thoughts, which actually I've taken from uh, the book of Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, al-Qawaid al-Nuraniyyah. So, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, Alhamdulillahi, Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam, wa baraka ana nabiina Muhammad wa ala <laughs> alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Of course, I think we all know that we have in general two main schools of fiqh in Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah school. One of them is the school of uh, Iraq or Kufa, represented by Imam Wahadith, and the other one is the school of Medina, represented by Imam Malik. And then we have another school, which we can say is the school of Al-Hadith, of Ahl Hadith in general which may be represented by Imam Ahmed and Imam Shafiq. We can say that in general. And it's very good to have an idea about the way they understood the general principles of Sharia. I will just share with you for because I think you already covered in your lessons the issues of Taha'a purification. So I will just mention to you briefly what are the general guidelines of the main schools of thought the Hanafis or the school of Iraq and the school, uh, the school of Medina and plus the school of Imam Ahmed or the school of Hadith in general. We know, for example, that the most important uh, part of our worship is the Salah and the key for the Salah is the purification. If you look at these schools, for example, and the way, uh, for example, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimullah, uh and the issue of food first or drinks first. Imam Malik for, for example he said all kind of drinks that intoxicate are haram because of the authentic evidences from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There are so many hadith we don't need to go uh, to that. As for the issue of uh, of eating, for example, Imam Imam Malik is in the opposite. He said everything Is permissible to eat in general including the bears that have claws and the animals that have funks for example the vultures is not haram to eat according to Imam Malik even the insects in his madhab is not haram to eat so in the issue of drinks he is very strict in the issue of eating he is very lenient in a way he said it's not haram but in general it is makro and also the eating the mules, donkeys, uh, other things, is lenient in, in uh, with that. He's not very strict. You will find the school of Kufa, Imam Bukhari, opposite to that. For example, the, for the issue the issue of the Khamr or the wine, they only consider the wine that has uh, been produced from grapes, as the the haram one, and they say it's not haram to have a small part of it, if it doesn't make you intoxicant. And in the issue of the eating, they are very strict. For example, they said it is haram to eat the horses, haram to eat the uh, lizard, the the, the desert lizard. And you see that there are two kind of extreme views in the issue of drinks and the issue of uh, eating. Ahl al-Hadith or Imam Ahmad you will find them in between in these two issues in the issue of drinks they took the stance of Imam uh, Imam Malik Rahimullah, and they said that everything which is intoxicant is haram to to have, to have. and they even added to the school of Abu, Abu, uh, Imam Malik something else they said for example that the nabeed also is haram. The nabeed, when you throw some dry food, for example, in water to make it sweet. And they said if this water stayed more than three days, that might become also intoxicant. So they said it's not also allowed to have it. And the issue of food also. They are very close to the school of Imam Abu Hanifah rahimahullah, and they followed the hadith of Muhammad sallam, when he said that all kind of vultures and the uh, bears that they have, uh, clouds, they also haram. So, also, they say it's haram to eat donkeys because of the hadith uh, that has been reported from Muhammad. And if you look at their madhab, the schools of hadith madhab, you will find them taking uh, very close to the school of Abu Hanifa in the issues of food and very close to the school of Imam Malik in the issues of drinks. Imam Abu may Allah we know his stand in general he said well we don't uh, add something which is not in the Quran in general and many schools of thought they follow the same principle. Uh, Muhammad sallallahu clearly said what I said is haram is like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said is haram when Rasulullah the thing that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa prohibited is similar to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited, and this hadith has been narrated from so many uh, ways. Uh, they know that when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a certain thing, doesn't abrogate what Allah subhanahu wa has already mentioned. Because some scholars said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a certain things in the Qur'an. Like for example, the dead animal, and the swine, and the... They said, the dead is haram, the swine is haram, and the dead is haram. So when you add something as if you are, in a way, abrogating the Qur'an. The other scholars said actually, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned these prohibitions, does it mean that everything else is halal? And They said that everything else is stayed as it as it was before the prohibitions. When Muhammad wa sallam, said something haram, it doesn't abrogate the Quran, but it's as something which is not mentioned in the Quran in details. The scholars of hadith also, as we know, they are not in agreement of the school of Imam Hanif Allah. They said, eating horses is halal. Although, for example, uh, Imam Bhanifa Allah said, eating horses is haram. Uh, the, the, because of the hadith, at the time of Muhammad وسلم, they said, we slaughtered a horse and we ate the meat of that horse. They also said, it is halal to eat the dhab, dhab which is the, as we said, the, the desert. desert. They said it is halal because it has been eaten in front of Muhammad Al Muhammad وسلم, did not uh, object. So, again, as you can see, they are even more lenient in the issue of food than Imam Abu Hanifa. Ahl uh, al Kufa, the people of Kufa, or the school of Kufa, in the issues of food, as we said, as we, as we can see, they are more strict. But the school of Abu Ahmad bin Hanbal is still more lenient in the issues of food. Uh, and also, is, they are close to the issue of the people of Medina and drinking chapter, but still they added some drinks that are not prohibited in the school of Imam Malik. Rahimullah. That is the stand of Imam Ahmed. If you, see, if you look at the way of uh, uh, the, another issue, for example, we, we can see in the school of Imam Ahmed something else which are not there in the other schools like Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik. They said, for example, the, if a person eats meat of camel, for example, he has to make wudu And they said, this hadith is authentic for Muhammad and there is no obligation for this hadith. And in fact, it's stronger than the, hadith, the other hadith that Muhammad Sallallahu has mentioned, such as the hadith, whoever touches private part, he should make wudu this hadith is not reported in and Muslim, and also Imam Ahmed used to be surprised, he said, I can't understand why people ignore such a clear hadith, authentic hadith reported from very strong chains, the issue of eating, the, to, take, to, to have wudu after eating camel animal, and yet they follow the hadith of performing wudu after touching private path. And, Muhammad, and Imam Ahmad said, it's very clear that we, from the Sunnah of Muhammad that we should make wudu. Now, the reason why we should make wudu after the eating the camel animal as we know that there are some narrations. Some scholars said authentic, some of them said uh, they are not authentic. One of the reasons that they mentioned in a hadith by Imam Ahmad, that the jinn, uh, the, actually the, the camel is created from jinn, or they are jinn themselves, and the jinn created from fire. And to, to put the fire down, you need to use water. Uh, similar to the Hadith uh, of Muhammad, he advised the person he became very angry to perform wudu. He said, Because the anger from shaitan, from devil, and devil from, fire, from fire, and when you uh, use water, that will put the fire down. Uh, and also, this hadith has been very often acknowledged by Ibjab ibn Samura, al ibn Azib, and Sayyid al and many people. Muhammad said, You should make wudu' if you eat the meat of the camel. And he said, don't make wudu' if you eat the lamb or the sheep meat, for example. Muhammad also said, you can pray in the places of, of the sheep, but you don't pray in the places of camel. The reason, a person say, well, uh, we know that if there is something impure, we can make wudu, or if we break we can make wudu, but why should we make wudu if we eat the camel meat? We believe that, for example, there are two kinds of impurities. One of them physical, which are very clear, according to the Hadith of Muhammad sallam, and the other one which is spiritual kind of impurity. And this is the issue of the eating, or drinking or making wudu after eating the camel meat, They said it will remove the kind of spiritual side effect from that kind of meat. And that's why, for example, you see the people, Bedouin people especially, they have this kind of anger, arrogance, harshness. And they said maybe this is the effect of eating the common meat without taking vuvu. So by performing the vuvu, that would remove the side effect of that kind of meat. And we that Muhammad in the hadith al and Muslim, he said, you will find the harshness and difficulty and arrogance in the people who own the camels and you find the easiness and humbleness and tranquility of the people who own the sheep. Which again, imply that the people when they eat a certain kind of food, that kind of food might affect their behavior and their character. And that's why maybe one of the reasons that Allah subhanahu wa taala forbidden eating the swine or the khanzeer. Uh, this is a kind of spiritual kind of effect that Muhammad ﷺ has advised us. We will not find it in Abu Hanifa's madhab or Imam Malik. we will find it in the madhab of Imam Ahmad and the scholars of hadith as well. Uh, also, for example, if somebody eats another kind of meat, which are haram, which is haram, should we make wudu or not? <coughs> in a way, is the reason of taking wudu because we are eating something haram or impure. Or it is just, as, just applicable on the eating of the camel. This is another issue. Imam Ahmad has two, two uh, narrations from him. Many of the scholars of Imam Shafi also they are in agreement of the Imam Ahmad in this issue. Another issue also whether you make from the cooked food or not. <coughs> you know that there are so many hadith that Muhammad sallam, advised the Israeli Muslims to make if from the cooked food, anything which is touched by fire. And some scholars said this hadith is abrogated. Uh, another hadith, for example, which is added, and you will not find it also in Imam Hanifa or Imam Malik, the issue of uh, a person when he woke up in the, in the morning, Muhammad he said he should clean his nose, sniff the water with his nose, because the devil st- stayed the night on his nose. And this is a kind of also spiritual impurity. And also the Hadith Muhammad said, if somebody woke up in the night, he should also wash his hand three times before he put his hand in the container because he doesn't know where his hand stayed during the night. This is again, again a kind of spiritual impurity that we don't know the reason for. Uh, Muhammad also said, you should not pray in the places of the of the Ibl, of the camel. And we mentioned... And the hadith of Muhammad also said, you are not allowed to pray. Every place in the land is halal to pray, except in the graveyard or in the bathroom. And one hadith that Muhammad said, the bathroom is a place of devil. Also, we know the hadith that Muhammad once, he missed the fajr prayer with his companions. And he said, actually, maybe this is a place of devil. That's why we should leave <coughs> this place. So avoiding the place of devil or the effect of devils in any way. You, you will find the scholars of Hadith follow all these evidences. And they said, don't pray in the bathroom, don't pray in the graveyard, don't pray in the mosques that have uh, a grave in it, don't pray, you, 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 you should not put your hand in the container before you wash three times. All these sunnahs, you will find them among the scholars of Hadith, but you will not find them in the schools of Imam Malik and the Imam Abu Hanif, The Reason for that, Muhammad Sallallahu sallam, has clearly mentioned to us the issue of uh, the devil or the which exists in these kind of places. If you find a lot of scholars, they say they don't agree with these sunnah. They said this sunnah is not valid because they didn't see people in their towns or in their local area <coughs> following these evidences. But they said, well, this is not sunnah. As you can see a lot of times, when we, we, when we don't see our people, our family, our tribe, our country follow a certain sunnah, we'll say this is bid'ah. But if you look at the Sunnah of Muhammad, you will discover that actually it is Sunnah. Uh, Sometimes you will find a lot of people narrated narrations that, well, this is not according to the opinion of Khalifa al Rashidin or the companions. It's very hard sometimes to evaluate the narration and to find out whether this narration is authentic or not. Another hadith, for example, Uh, which is some other scholars they don't accept that Muhammad sallallahu said the salah can be invalidated by if a black dog pass in front of you or a woman or a donkey. <coughs> Muhammad was asked why the black dog, why not the red right or white right? for example? Muhammad said the black dog is devil. Shaytana. Another hadith Muhammad said yes last night I saw a shaitan or a shaitan he came to me and he tried to divert me from my prayer. And I took it and I wanted to tie it to the one of the pillars of the mosques. Hadith <clears throat> by Imam Bukhari and Muslim. So as you can see that the Shaitan is also tried to, to divert or distract Muhammad sallallahu from his salah. And uh, that also show that passing the devil, if he's passing in front of you in the salah, that might yani, invalidate your salah. Imam Ahmad, was hesitant about the issue of woman, if she passed in front of you, or the donkey. He said, yes, the black dog, we have no problem with that. He was hesitant in the issue of woman and the black and, and the donkey. He said, because we saw, we know that Aisha, radiallahu anha, Used to sleep in front of Muhammad وسلم, in the night and he used to pray, and she was towards the Qibla, and that didn't validate his prayer. And also, that Ibn Abbas وسلم, one, day, one time he was passing in front of Muhammad وسلم, with his small donkey, and that also didn't validate their, their salah. But again, you can see that the schools or his schools try to follow the hadith as much as they can. you can see that we have a lot of Sunan. And if you look at each school of thought, whether they are Hanafis or Malikis uh, or Shafi'is or even sometimes Hanbalis, they don't follow every single hadith that came to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sometimes they follow a certain hadith which they think is stronger. And sometimes they said, well, this is the hadith we'll accept because the action of the people of our city is according to it, our country, and if we follow this principle, then we will must of the Sunnah of Muhammad The best thing the best thing, is to apply every single hadith and every single ayah came to Muhammad from, uh, from Allah subhanahu wa taala, or any sunnah came from Muhammad Try to follow it at least once in your life. And by the mercy of Allah, we find every single hadith has been applied or followed by certain scholars. Even Imam Talmud, when he wrote his book, he said, every single hadith that I put in this book has been applied by some scholars of this nation, except two hadith, which were actually, according to him, is not applied, but according to other scholars has been applied also. So, it would be a big loss. if if some of these these Sunnah are missing, just because they are not exist in our town, it will be a disaster. This is a very important principle. I don't know how to emphasize it. Uh, There is no contradiction between the Quran and the Quran, and there is no contradiction between Sunnah and Sunnah. You will find, for example, in the time of Muhammad, Muhammad, for example, he mentioned uh, maybe three, four four different ways to start your Salah, for example سُبْحَانِكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ or وُجَّهْتُ وجهِ sama فَطَرَ السَّمَوَةُ وَالْأَرْضِ or اللَّهُمْ بَعَدْ بَيْنُ وَبَيْنَ خَطَايَيْهِ it is good not to stick with one dua but today for example this Salah you start with this dua next Salah with another dua third so, with another dua so you will try to apply every single narration came to Muhammad from Muhammad also the dua also the qira'at recitation the of the Qur'an it's good to recite the Qur'an in different ways so you will not miss any goodness that came to from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from the Sunnah of Muhammad <clears throat> This is the issue of the impurity, whether physical or spiritual. Another principle, the issue of najasa, the impurity itself, the physical impurity we know that most of the scholars divided the impurities into two parts one of them they said the uh, المغلبة, the strong impurity and the other one is the light impurity if you look at Imam Abu Rahimullah and the school, at his school they said well we will forgive um, if it's a very heavy impurity and but it's small maybe an inch, they call it the dirham al-bagli, maybe this much. We will not, we will ignore it. And for the light impurity, if it's quarter of that object, we will also ignore it or less. Imam Sheikh Al-Haybullah is opposite in the issue of impurity. He's very harsh in the issue of the impurity. And he said, no, every the single impurity is, is impurity, and we have to avoid it completely. Except very single thing, like a fly, a small sport for example, in private park, these kind of things, he said, no problem. Or the blood of the, uh, for blood from the uh, mosquitoes, these kind of things, he was a bit lenient. Otherwise, he is very strict. Imam Malik, you find him in the middle between these two schools of thought, between the school of Malik, uh, between the school of Imam Khalifa, who is a bit lenient in this issue, and the school of Shafi'i was very strict in this issue. He said the urine and the uh, raw dunks of the eaten animal is not impure, <coughs> and he said also the blood is not a, is not a I mean, is not heavy najis, uh, but it is light one. And if there is a blood coming from a person or with or address, does not make his uh, dress or his toe najis Ahmed, you'll find him between the two you'll find Ahmed between the Shafi'is and between the Hanf- between the Hanafis and Shafi'is he said the animals that people normally deal with, like mules or donkeys that they cannot avoid it is okay if, you, if, if it's hard for you to avoid them then it is not najis so he's lenient in this issue also he said that if there is dung or urine of the eaten animal is also not a big issue uh, also the issue of if a person pray and he forgot that there is some kind of impurity on his toe or on his shoes Imam Muhammad said there is no problem because Muhammad discovered something impurity on his shoes and he removed them during the Salah uh, and also when Muhammad discovered after he prayed Fajr that uh, there is some impurity in his toe he did not repeat the Salah you will find Imam Ahmad the sunnah, although Imam Shafi'i and Imam Abu Hanifa on the other side they said no you have to repeat the Salah he has to repeat the Salah the other principle also how to remove the impurity Imam Abu Hanifa and his school of thought they said you can remove the impurity by any mean whether that mean is liquid or solid. Imam Shafiq on the other side said no impurities only can be removed by water only <coughs> even if there is impurity below or under the foot or the shoes Imam Shafiq said has to be cleaned by water and then he said there is nothing can remove it except the water even the impurity in the earth you will find the school of hadith Ahmad Rahimullah as one of them he said no for example for the issue of shoes if you wipe your shoes uh, the floor that will purify it the knife for example if you have blood if you wipe it with a piece of cloth it will clean it similar to Imam Abu Hanifa in this issue which is not according to Imam Shafi'i, Imam Shafi'i in this issue in a bit to a <coughs> also a woman's clothes for example if a woman wears long dress for example and the uh, that her clothes might be touched the water or impurities. Uh Imam Rahimallah says okay, because the sun and the wind will purify the toe and the and this and the dust will purify the toe. So as long as the impurity removed, the physical impurity by any mean, whether physical, whether with solid or with water, or with the air or with the sun, or with wiping it, according to the <coughs> school of Imam Ahmad and the school of Hadith, it is okay, which is in this case very close to the school of Abu Hanifa. The main principle here is, as we know, that the Jewish are very extreme in the impurities, very extreme. And the Christian opposite to them, they are very lenient in issues of impurity. And Islam in the middle, Islam between the two extremes. And even in the, among the Muslims, you'll find always two extreme op- idea, opinions. One very extreme to the side, one very extreme to the side. And the, the correct always, you'll find it somewhere in the, in the middle. Ahl Sunnah in the middle. And the school of hadith among Ahl Sunnah is also in the middle. So actually, the school of hadith is the middle of the middle. No? The other thing, also the other principle, is when the impurity uh, fallen in, in the pure water, for example, or pure pure juice. Uh, so what shall we do? You will find that the school of Abu Hanif is very harsh, very strict. <coughs> Abu Hanif Allah, said, "Is impurity fallen in, in the pure water? Throw it out. Why? Because if you drink a water." That has impurity in it, you will definitely going to have to drink the impure, impurity and that will make it haram. A Jew, for example, if he has an impurity, you are going to take that impurity, even if it's small, that will make it haram also. You will find Malik on the other extreme. Imam Malik alhamdulillah said, Everything is impure. If the najasa fall in it, as long as the color or the taste or the smell doesn't change. And you'll find Ahmed and Shafi'i in the middle. They said no, if the water is so much it cannot be impure. It cannot become yeah, impure because a small impurity fall in it. And they said, they mentioned the hadith if belag the and also the issue of other uh, uh, liquids other than water, such as you know, the other pure liquids. Another principle, for example, another issue, the major issue is the part of the dead animal that doesn't have moisture. Can we say moisture in them? Like the hair, for example, or the bone, or the nails. Are they pure or impure? For example, the ivory or the elephant tusk. Are they pure or not pure? You'll find also three different opinions among the scholars will find that they are impure, completely. Who do you think this is the original form? whom? Impure. So what we see so far? Shafiq. Because Shafi'i in the issue of Najasat, he is very strict. So Imam Shafiq said, any kind of part or any part of the animal is impure. That's also a narration of Imam Ahmed. On the other extreme, but on the other side, we'll find Imam Ahmed, he said they are pure, absolutely. There is no... He said it's pure. The third opinion, which is in the middle, you can say it's in the middle, they said we will not deal with them in the same way. For example, the bone, not like the hair. The hair doesn't feel yeah you cannot they cannot feel there is no feeling in the hair in the hair, while in the bone there is some kind of feeling there is some kind of life there's com- uh, senses so the hair which is can be replaced which is similar to the tree similar to the plants is pure while the other one is impure that is the middle opinion between the two schools of thought <clears throat> another principle also how to how to perform wudu or make wudu or the taking a bath, for example, or ghusl. If you look actually neutrally and study all these schools of thoughts, you'll find that you'll find that Imam Abu Hanifah followed <coughs> a certain uh, hadith, but he missed some of the other hadith. And you'll find Imam Malik also followed a certain hadith and he missed a certain hadith. And if you look at these schools of hadith you'll find them in general. They applied all the narration that came to from Muhammad in different ways. For example, in the issue of wiping on the socks, for example, or on the leather socks, and the khuf, you'll find so many narrations for Muhammad impossible for you to ignore. It are very authentic, so many narrations. Uh, wiping on the... wiping on the on the uh, turbans, wiping on the scarves, wiping on the uh, shoes, wiping on the sandals, wiping on the... Uh, these are so many hadith, nobody can ignore them. Women's scarves, men's scarves. <coughs> Abu Musa used to wipe on his scarf. Abu An- Anas also Abu used to wipe on her scarf also. <coughs> and if you look at them, at the school of hadith, they followed all these evidences. Others follow. a scholar said, no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you have to wipe on the of your head. And those, uh, these evidences that you, you see, Muhammad Wasallam, he wiped on the turban, but he also touched part of his head, which actually made the hadith <coughs> meaningless. If you look at the school of hadith, uh, the, the, the school of al-hadith, you will find that actually they follow the hadith also in the wiping on these socks or in this calf or in the, uh, these kind of things <clears throat> and if you look at in general, يعني, neutrally you will find that actually what the, the these scholars who follow the hadith, you will find them their opinions are close to the general principle of Sharia we know our Sharia, Muslim Sharia practical, easy, flexible And whenever there is some kind of harshness, you will find an ease. And for a person to remove the turban and then wipe his hair or remove his scarf and rearrange it again, it's a difficult one. Remove the socks and then put it on. And why It's a kind of... And it's out of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of the hardship and difficulty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easy for us. So this is similar to the principles of Sharia. (coughs) The other principle... Uh, the tayammun you will find for example uh, like Abu Hanifa rahimullah, Shafi'i, rahimullah. they said you have to you have to uh, hit the Torah two times put your hand on the soil or in the dust two times and you have to wipe up to the marfaq you have to have wipe your hands up to the marfaq and yet you find the Hadith, authentic Hadith, in fact very authentic Hadith that Muhammad ﷺ, in his tayammum he only hit the soil or dust one time and he didn't wipe on his arm, just on his hands, that's it. So you'll find these evidences easy and Supported by the evidence from Muhammad وسلم, in a very, very authentic hadith. <clears throat> the other issue is the issue of menses, women menses, and the bleeding of a woman, which as we know, one of the most complicated issue of, uh, of Tahara. We know from the hadith of Muhammad وسلم, if we look at all the uh, evidences, we will find three, uh, three sunan came from Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, the hadith of the a woman that she who has a regular period and if she has a regular period after that then she can estimate the period time according to the regular time before this hadith by Imam Bukhari and Muslim sorry Alaikum Abu Zainab Asif عندنا درس أتصل إن شاء الله بعد الدرس طيب السلام عليكم. <laughs> Also is also fiqh it's fiqh yes, <laughs> yes uh, um, because this is my friend is a <laughs> bit sensitive so <laughs> okay and the uh, so we have three sunnah the first one when a woman has a regular period and then after that she has a regular period and she doesn't know how to estimate the time the hadith suggested that she should estimate her time according to the regular time that she, had, she used to have before and the other sunnah, a woman, a woman that she can identify the, the, the nature of her blood, maybe from the color of her, or the smell of the nature of the blood, then she can say, well, this is the blood actually that I have now, similar to the blood I used to have in my period, so this is the, my period. We call it al-mumayyizah. And this is again hadith narrated by Imam Bukhari, a Muslim, a very authentic. Very, very authentic hadith, nobody can deny it at all. And the third sunnah, is less authentic than before, which is not by Imam Abu would Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. Uh, a woman which, is, which, is, which doesn't have a regular period before and also cannot uh, identify the nature of her blood, uh, what she should do in this case, she should you know, estimate her timing according to the woman in her family or in her, similar to her in her t- time or her like, uh, age or state. <laughs> the first two Sunnah they are a and Muslim, very authentic. The third one, the Hadith of Haml ibn Jahsh authenticated by Imam Tirmid uh, and also Imam Udaud narrated the similar of Hadith from Sahla bin Suhail. If you look at the scholars of Hadith you will find them follow all these three Sunnah from Muhammad وسلم, and they did not neglect any narration from Muhammad Imam Abu Hanifa he just accepted the ad. He said if a woman has a regular period before and then become irregular, regular, she should estimate his time according to the regular period that she used to have before. <coughs> he doesn't يعني, rely on the tamiz or يعني, if the, if, uh, the nature of the blood. Uh, and Imam uh, Aliq, he... Uh, accept the tamiz. He said, if a woman have a regular period, she should look at the nature of the blood, not at the regular time that she has before. Which is opposite to Imam Abu Hanif opinion. Imam Abu Shafi, he said, use the tamiz, the nature of the blood, and then, as a priority, and then, he said, the Ada is the second. Uh, and if they are coming together, then he said, the the identification of the blood is more important and he said if she cannot find out then she should pray continuously without stop and as you can see that the schools of hadith actually solve this problem by following the three sunnah from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in conclusion what we, what we say that one of the major lessons inshallah hopefully in the future whenever I come I can cover a chapter of the other issues. This is Tahara only. There is also their main differences in the issue of Salah, the issue of Hajj, the issue of all the chapters of Fiqh. You will find these major schools of thought, the school of Rai and school of Hadith, and then the school of Hijaz, and then school of Hadith. Um, you can see how they, you know, they, they built their Fiqh. And the best way, of course, is to apply everything came from Muhammad sallallahu Every single sunnah. Not to neglect any sunnah. Otherwise, our deen will become less and less. And we have, we have to protect our deen and convey it to the second generation intact, without any naqs, without any tagheer. We should not stick with one scholar and think that he is immune from mistakes if he is a human being. They can forget, they can make mistakes, they can whatever. But the good, uh, we we'll, we'll use their opinion, we study their work, we don't start from zero, but we also keep our mind open, reading the hadith of Muhammad, sallam, apply his sunnah, because that's what we will be asking the judgment. The ayat from the Quran and the sunnah of Muhammad. Sallallahu and we know for sure that there is no contradiction between the ayat of the Quran. And there is no contradiction between the Qur'an and the Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu But here is the uh, issue of how to apply them. Like for example, uh, the issue of janazah We know for example the hadith that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Janazah for takbirat, and some narration five takbirat, and some narration seven takbirat, some narration nine takbirat. It's good to pray janazah in these three uh, different forms whenever possible. We know, for example, the Adhan, our Adhan. Well, the Adhan that we have nowadays is not the Adhan that it was at the time of Muhammad Sallallahu The Adhan that we have, uh, 16 words? How many words do we have? 15? 15. 15? At the time of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 17. 17, 17 words. Uh, so again, it's good, for example, sometime, although maybe somebody if we try to do the Adhan at the Sunnah, they will kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's good to follow the Sunnah and not to neglect it. Since Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi at this time, he has another adhan, added a few words, although the people normally, they say, well, these people bringing another deen, another religion, simply because they don't look at the sunnah of Muhammad and they don't try to implement it. My advice is to follow every single sunnah, whenever possible. If you can not today, maybe some other time, you can. you can follow all the narration, and whenever, Someone and you neglect any sunnah of Muhammad, وسلم, it will be seen in us as a nation in a form of weakness and division. Allahu Sorry, I took, I take more than I. <laughs> if we can ask some questions, I think that was very
0: interesting. If there's any questions, then please uh, just uh, speak up.
1: This is also, the, this is all can be found in the book by Imam Al-Taymi, Allah, the first chapter. In the best book that you
2: Um, I just have, if you don't mind, I've just got three points, three questions that came to my mind. Uh, um, basically, the first one was that um, you were mentioning regarding the culture, and a lot of people look at culture, and assume from that if it's uh, valid or not. Um, but what about, them? I understand your point, and I agree with that, that um, one should try to educate themselves much about hadith and the sunnah as much as possible. But what about the case of a lay person, uh, somebody who's not educated? Is it sufficient enough for them to look at the culture around them, and to take from that, just practice from that?
1: Yeah, I think the brother was asking about the culture, isn't it? Whether, should, if we don't have enough knowledge, should we follow the culture or not? That's the That's the question? Yes. And of course, yes. We follow our culture as long as it's not contradicting the Quran and Sunnah. Uh, but at the same time, we have to read the Quran all the time and understand the Quran. And we have to follow read the Sunnah all the time and follow the Sunnah. And if we find any contradiction between the Quran and the Sunnah and our tradition, we will throw our tradition in the And we don't care at all. Otherwise, we will worship our tradition beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We will follow the Quran and Sunnah only. And we know in our societies there are a lot of traditions which is against the Quran and Sunnah. We follow them just because we are inherited them. I don't know where from. Maybe the remaining part of Jahiliyyah or whatever which is against the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad. Salaam. As long as they are not in contradiction, contradicting Quran and Sunnah, no problem. But throw them away if there is any contradiction. Allah. And this is similar to any uh, studying any... Uh, uh, this is what I said all the time when, when I was asked about <coughs> can we study Shafi'i, Hanafi or Maliki or Hanbali? I said study any of them. If you're local, for example, society, Hanafi, study Hanafi, and teach Hanafi. But whenever you find an opinion, which is not an agreement of the Qur'an and Sunnah, you avoid or not having that. And whether uh, Shafi'i, for example, or Maliki, wherever you are, yeah, just a human being and a school of thought. They have a huge contribution to our understanding of, the, of Islam. But we cannot yeah, make them an idol beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the Christian and Jews, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, ahbarahum ahbarahum, They exaggerated. Yeah, will, again, we have three kinds of... Some people exaggerate in the respecting of the scholars. In a way, they said well, they are infallible." If you said, well, this is maybe, if you don't agree with this, if you agree with them 99%, if you don't agree with them they said, no, you don't respect them. And we find another extreme. People said, no, we are men and they are men, and we are on the same level. This is not correct. We respect them. We study their work. We appreciate their work. Uh, and we follow their opinions as long as they are in agreement with the Quran. and Sunni. But the asr is that we always should read the Quran and think about it and read the Sunnah, and think about them. And whenever we find anything, <laughs> any issue, which is not an agreement with the Prophet, we will not follow the Hadith, any person, except Allah and his Messenger As simple as that. You, you will find it difficult, but that's the way to Jannah. The way to Jannah is never easy. Allah uh, <laughs> Always when a person won't try to follow the Hak, uh, he will find hardship and difficulty. But if he be sincere, Allah will protect him, and guide him, and look after him. If um, anybody else has a
2: question, I just ask him. Ask him a question. So yeah, um, basically, the other one was, um, in certain situations, I understand that, for example, if you're in Salah, then you have to follow the opinions of one mother, So, for example, if you're praying according to the Hanafi, then it's better to just follow the other opinions laid down and that. But where can you become relaxed when taking opinions? And where can you be relaxed and where is it, you know, you have that system, you shouldn't take different opinions and mix, and mix around yourself?
1: You mean, you mean if you have, uh, for example, Hanafi Imam, you should follow everything that the Imam follow?
2: You mean? In, in the sense that, for example, you pray according to Hanafi opinion, um, you 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 follow that system, but would it mean that in other aspects of your life that you have to follow that same the same uh, same school, or where can you take other opinions? Where is it relaxed and where is it kind of better to stick to one method?
1: Uh, sorry, I didn't understand your question. You mean um, he said that he's, basically what he's trying to say is that if a
0: person was to pray according to uh, one method for example, and uh, in Salah completely. Okay. With um, uh, that kind of uh, sticking to that madhab, does that apply to the rest of the acts of ibadah as well? What is the principle that one is using in his life, sticking to some scholars, not sticking to the madhab, sticking to the madhab, not sticking to the madhab? How does he keep the oh. system?
1: No, I think you know, we should stick with the madhab all the time, you know, with the Salah, with the song with the Hajj, with the general life in general. Uh, that's the school that he believe is, is good and practical. And uh, But again, as I said, with the, these three conditions. Uh, number one, you shouldn't follow the madhab out of desire. Number two, we should always read the Qur'an and Sunnah, try to follow them. If you find any contradiction, leave them. And number three, what, what's the third condition we said? Keep reading the Qur'an and Sunnah. And yes, the, I think, keep reading the Qur'an and Sunnah. And then third one, if you find anything which is not in, in agreement, leave your madhab in that issue but that's I think if a person said no actually I will not follow my madhab. I will follow the Quran directly Uh, it will be a difficult task for him it will not be easy for him but again it is open because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said follow the Quran and the (laughs) Sunnah may Allah
2: subhanahu
1: wa ta'ala guide guide everyone who wants to follow the Sunnah (coughs) to (laughs) follow Allah and the wa but if the the the, the person who hasn't got knowledge, what should he do? Because he don't he don't know how to find the Quran. He doesn't know to read the, the Hadith. He should. يعني yani, Sheikh Al said, what if a person doesn't uh, doesn't have a knowledge and he will not be able to understand or study like a common person who doesn't understand. I think the the person he should find, ask a scholar, who he thinks that he is closer to the Quran and Sunnah. You know, like a person when he wants to take his child to a doctor, for example, he will he will ask what is the this doctor' his history, for example, rehabilitation and effect in the nation, for example, and he will have some indication that this is the best doctor that he has. And similar to a scholar, he will not choose a scholar because he is lenient or easy, or he think that he will make things easy for him but he thinks he has more knowledge and also he feels Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anyone else and he should ask a scholar that he trusts would give him the best answer so for example in this Manchester we have 5 or 6 or 10 scholars you ask a person not because he is your local or your friend or the person you know but the best that you think he knows and he knows the Quran and Sunnah more than anyone else and also he feels Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anyone else that's the jihad of a simple person Try to find the best scholar that he can't give an answer. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fasadullah <laughs> dikri ask the people of the knowledge if you don't know. And they said one of the beautiful meanings of this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ahl <clears throat> And dhikr is the Quran. And the Qur'an means those people who have knowledge in the text, in the dhikr. In the Quran and the Sunnah. Allah Shaykh.
0: Shaykh, you mentioned in the Quran, the of maternity. <laughs> Um, that um, he specifically mentioned that every hadith in this yes. collection is acted upon Except but, but it would be nice for to share the hadith of jama' and, uh, yeah. and alcohol
1: <clears throat> Yes, yani, Imam Talmud, he said
0: If you could just repeat the, the the principle that you were emphasizing there
1: The principle that yani, I said that one of the beautiful uh, principles that these scholars of hadith has mentioned has, has done, actually, all of them the Imams of Hadith, that every single Hadith they, ha- they, ha- they put in their books, yeah, they will know they will not be a, they, these are not simple people. They are, these are a major scholars of Hadith. Once they recall a hadith in their book, the Hadith has a great value, one of the values that has been acted by a scholar, or a group of scholars, or many scholars. and that's why Imam ultimate has mentioned every single hadith that I put in my book. Has been applied and applied and has been followed by certain scholars, except two hadith the hadith of the jama' between the hadith uh, the which is authentic in Sahih Muslim. Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam combined the Abu Hur and Asr al-Madinah and, and Maghrib al without Safar and without Matar and one without Khawf and without, مرض, without without fear and without uh, sickness. They said, How can Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam combine the two <coughs> Salah while he is not in a Safar, while there is no rain? Well there is no fear, well, there is no sickness. And they said, Well all the nation has not done that. But again, when they ask they asked the narrator why Muhammad well, has done that, he said he was he doesn't want to make things difficult for his nation. Sometime a person, for example, in a show, in in a in a lecture, or sometime a person in an operation, or sometime a baker who will if he leave his work maybe will be spoiled. So he needs some extra time. So sometimes the time in winter short, sometimes difficult. So if there is a difficulty, you can't join them. According to Talmud, he didn't come to a scholar who applied this hadith, but according to the other scholar, it was applied. And the other hadith that Muhammad said, if somebody drink alcohol, lash him, and then if you drink it second time, lash him, and if you drink it a third time, lash him, and if you drink it a fourth time, kill him. And he said there's no scholar who acted upon this hadith. We didn't know anybody who was killed because he drink the alcohol four time. And also we know that the hadith of Muhammad, when a man used to brought on Muhammad every time he was drunk, Muhammad used to lash him. Again he do it. then one of the time one one time the Sahaba said, May Allah curse him. How many times he was be he brought to Muhammad? Muhammad said, Don't curse him. He loved Allah. He love Allah and his messenger sallallahu Alaihi So he said this is repeatedly, this man, all the time, brought to Muhammad, and yet he was not killed. So even a sign of of obligation in this way. Some scholars said, no, when a person has been punished three times, and the fourth time, that means he is, doesn't care. It has no value for the prohibition. And then, some scholars, they took the third kind of opinion, which I think is is good, in my opinion. Uh, people said some people said it's abrogated some people said no you have to apply it and some people said no it's it's below, It's up to the Imam if you see the interest a lot of people drinking alcohol they don't stop and we know drinking alcohol is the mother of the mother of evil as Ithmar said the mother of evil the الخبر. then the Imam can apply the capital punishment for that Sahih? Allah. But this is very important issue. These that we have thousands of them. Every single sunnah of them, every single sunnah has been applied by a scholar. It's not some theoretical kind of knowledge. It's all a practical knowledge. And the best one of us is the one who applied every single sunnah possible. Once in his life at least. Allah. Otherwise, we will miss some of the sunnah of Muhammad ﷺ. alaihi wasallam and we will not convey the message, uh, completely to the next generation Allah <laughs> Tamam <laughs> 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 so, so, you mentioned now that I'm working on with me, i
2: in or without any reason uh, Yes, without any yeah. So, the people is complaining for them nowadays for the summer time yeah. It's
1: also like, uh, yeah. And also, they can hadith. Yeah, and Sheikh Al also said, but we, we find people complain when people join the Maghrib al-isha. and in this uh, short. Uh, I, I'm one of the people that I don't like the idea of combining the Maghrib and uh, no, no problem if a person, for example, tired and he's working uh, and he cannot make prayer that's fine. Uh, he can join them. But to make it like a system in a mosque, every year, three months or four months, continuously, make it like a system. I think this is changing our religion. This is when a systematic way, every month, every year, four months, make a second jamaah inside the mosque. Uh, this is bid'ah, this is in my opinion. If you keep it on the individual basis, for example, a person who cannot pray, go home and play on his own to make two jama'ah in the mosque, pray, you know, the jama'ah praying isha'ah, and then after half an hour, or one hour, another jama'ah praying isha'ah. We believe that in every single mosque should be one jama'ah, one imam. When you make two jama'ah, it will divide the jama'ah of the mosque. So, here, ben- one of the benefits of Salat al-Jama'ah, that will, it will create that kind of sense of yeah. unity in the, in the society. So, if you have two isha, and two maghrib, and two imams, where is the jama'ah? you will create a division in this, in this mosque. And then you will create a division inside the society. If you cannot play Maghrib, if you cannot play Isha, because you are busy, or, uh, or you cannot stay awake till 11 o'clock, no problem. Play on your own. But don't create a second jama'ah in the mosque. And you know, even the three imams, Taqribal, <coughs> Abu Hanifa and Malik, and, and in a way, Shafi'i, they said, one jama'ah in every mosque. Even when a person comes late, he should not make another Jama'ah. He should pray on his own or go back home and pray. This is to keep one Imam, one Jama'ah at a certain time. Allah. And that's why I believe it's. And not because of the Jama'ah itself, because the systematic Jama'ah that has been created, which is in a way changing our religion. And we want to preserve our religion. No change. Muhammad said, uh, their judgment. People will come, and they think, uh, try to, they are trying to fall in the fire. I want to, to keep them away, and they will be thrown in Jahannam. Yeah. I said, "Why? This is my people, my companions, my friends. It will said to be said to him, no, إنهم غيروا وبدل." They they altered and they changed. I think altered and changed is also a deep key kind of meanings. When you will have a certain prayer. You will know, you will keep the prayer. <coughs> but you will change it in a way, in its timing, in its location, in its place. That's تغيير. Alternation, you say, No, I will not pray Salah. I will sit on the chair like a Christian and sing. A Christian, they change their religion and, and they make it into a singing, singing, sitting on chairs and singing. And they keep it one hour in a week and then they left it. Completely. <coughs> and even their church, they became most. That's what happened. Didn't it? If you don't look at the religion, your religion will be diluted. And then people will think this is a joke, and they will leave it, it's not a proper religion. But if you preserve your religion completely, try to implement it completely, they will be protected. And you will find all time people who follow that religion. Like our people now, they have chairs. Have you seen the chairs? Now we have, I don't know how many chairs, 10 chairs, maybe next year it will become 20, and then after 10 years, 30, and after 50 years it will become 50, then after 100 years, lit any, <laughs> 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 any questions
2: everyone? It. Um, it's an online question how do we help our little children 7 years old get used to salah with the timing can we allow them pray, to pray before or after the salah times and um, Which do we then give them flexibility for?
1: As long as they are reaching the age of puberty, they are flexible. We cannot be very harsh with them. Um, They will be rewarded if they do it. They will not be punished if they don't. We train them as much as we can. Uh, But they are not like any adult people.
2: Two sisters are asking, in terms of a woman invalidating a man's prayer, if he passes in front of him, Please, can the Sheikh tell us about the rulings about this during and Umrah and also in the Prophet's <coughs> Mosque? So
1: uh, of course, and again, you can see, you can say a lot of scholars said, by the way, you will find most of the scholars said the passing in front of the man will not invalidate completely. He doesn't need to make it up. It will reduce the ajr, but he can continue with the salah. I think this is the opinion of the four Imams. And the other issue, they said, uh, all the mosques are the same. No exemption. And some of them said, no, except Mecca. The problem in Mecca, because you have the Tawaf. And the Tawaf, millions of people around the Kaaba. And you cannot protect the people from, from that. So they said with one exemption only. And that is the opinion of some scholars, which I think is correct. Uh, so difficult in Mecca because of the Tawaf to protect you from some people passing, passing in front of you because of that difficulty and because of some, some narration also Masjid al-Haram I think exactly but is the not Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam inside the Masjid al-Nabawi he forbade the people from passing in front of them and some of the companions they fought with other people when they passed in front of them but only the Masjid al-Haram just because the tawaf okay, just one more
2: question um, it's in regards to uh, how does one know that it's finished. Could you explain that more in detail?
1: How does it know it's finished? That's a woman question, not Allah. And the only thing that when we know the hadith of Muhammad, when a woman see the al the white cloth, and that is the sign. Allah. That's the Any questions?
2: Exactly. one last question you asked for example combining the salah individually is there any limits or any limits in saying what is actually a good reason for you to combine uh, Maghrib and Isha so that there's a limit where people can't abuse that and just do whatever
1: they can yeah. as I said when there is a hardship and difficulty uh, I personally believe that if a person pray one hour, one hour, twenty minutes ten minutes after Maghrib I should be okay, that's a sure and I think most of the people know